That's it. That's my intro. Hi, I'm Amanda, and you're watching Small Entertainment. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And no, your ears don't deceive you. You're actually getting multiple episodes of MMO in a single week again. And if you don't know what that's referring to, you can go back and listen to our previous episode. And it was actually on our previous episode. Uh, We told you guys we had a collaboration in the works. We were supposed to have this guest on last week uh, due to the hurricane and our power outages. We had to reschedule her. She was nice enough to be amenable to join us today. And so we are... Are having Amanda from Swell Entertainment on YouTube join us. I am your co-host Mike One. This is co-host also Mike to tell you a little more about Amanda. Yeah, Swell Entertainment. That channel's been blowing up of late. I'll uh, use her own words of introduction here, which I think are phenomenal. She goes, "I'm Amanda, and I'm the final girl in your horror movie." So immediately, Mike <laughs> One clicks every video right there. Yep. Uh, then she gets me on her side because she goes, "This is my channel, Swell Entertainment. It's not great entertainment or bad entertainment. It's just swell." So that is a dad joke. That is a meta joke. It works on multiple <laughs> levels. So immediately immediately we like we're we're clicking on everything she does and i'm glad you turned me on to her her stuff mike i mean she does product reviews movie and show reviews tv show reviews that is event reviews like she went to a drive-in movie theater and it was great like she was watching uh what was it knives out and uh, yeah she reviewed that experience uh and then she does a bunch of commentary stuff so yeah tell us more about what she does mike Yeah, she's really helped me get through quarantine, and I, like so many others in the last few months, have been turned on to her uh, through YouTube's algorithm, and with good reason. She puts out great content. Uh, She is kind of a check and a balance on the influencer world. The product review she does, she actually will take the products that influencers on social media get paid to advertise, and she will use them for herself, and she will uh, let you know whether or not they are worth your time and money, or whether or not an influencer is just cashing a check at your exposure's expense. But the reason we have her on today and what she does in part as well and what Mike already told you about is she does review movies and shows and she's hilarious and she's in depth and we are very very lucky that she uh, brings both of those qualities with her today as we have kind of a kooky episode and not a countdown but more of a list episode Mike where we're talking about big time production disasters. Yeah, this is called Film Sets from Hell with Swell Entertainment, (laughs) and uh, we're very proud about that title. We've been workshopping it for a while, but essentially, we we pitched it last episode to you guys, and we're following through today thanks to her because she was able to reschedule for us, which which doesn't always happen, by the way, with guests, but she was really cool, rescheduled, and we did a bunch of research on the craziest film productions in Hollywood history, in world history, really. And we've already recorded this, so we know it's great. You guys will love this. We did we did a ton of research on all these crazy productions. She tells a story so good in the number five spot that we, do, we don't even want to follow it. It's humbling in how amazing this story is, quite yeah. truly. It's outrageously good. So that's as good of a tease as you'll ever get from the mics here. So be ready. Yeah, and one good tease follows another because Amanda agreed to join us for two episodes. And the reason we are doing film sets from hell and production disasters today uh, is she will be joining us again to review New Mutants which is something we've teased we have a big surprise for and something special lined up for when it ever does grace us with its presence. And that's something special as a great up-and-coming YouTuber uh, joining us and lending us her presence to review New Mutants. Whenever that may be, even if it drops in like 2026, which could very well be the case. 
But with that said, be on the lookout on the outro of this episode. We will be including all of Amanda's social medias and work and where to find her. And believe me, like Mike just alluded to, after hearing this story she has in the number five (laughs) spot, you're going to want to follow and subscribe to Swell Entertainment. Film sets from hell with Swell. Collaboration with Amanda from Swell Entertainment with Mike, Mike, and Oscar is up next. We will see you all on the other side. All right, on the line right now, Amanda from Swell Entertainment. After much ado and delay on our part and Eversources, Amanda, thank you for finally joining us and being with us here today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to dive right in. We each picked three, like we already talked about, uh, of these production disasters. Much uh, anticipation for all of us in talking about New Mutants is coming up. Uh, Amanda, you are the guest here, so it would be rude of us to not let you go first. So you have the floor. What was your first production disaster you wanted to talk about? So I kind of wanted to do this one that I'm fairly certain will never see the light of day. So (laughs) this movie, I'll be surprised if it ever sees the light of day, this movie. It's called Empires of the Deep. <laughs> Mike and I just started looking it up uh, when you emailed us. We have not heard of this, and the uh, it, it sounds just bombastic. <laughs> Did you read the source material, Amanda? There's not much source material to this, I believe. It was it's a it's the Empires of the Deep is a vanity project for realtor billionaire John Jiang, and I looked up how to say his last name, and I'm probably still going to butcher it. <laughs> uh, Chinese billionaire. Um, he wrote the initial script and financed part of the film's budget. Okay, because I read Mermaid Island USA versus the Plesiosaurs, and I thought that had to be based on a book or something. It's not, though. Oh, my God. That's what it was originally. That was the working title for the production, I believe, when they were still in. They started uh, production in 2010. <laughs> oh, jeez. So it's it, it'll finish up any day now. Is this Is this a guy that has... Any ties to the movie industry whatsoever, or is he just kind of like, ah, I can make a movie? Yeah, I think it's that. He, no, 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 you, under, you need to understand, though. This was going to be um, the next Star Wars or Avatar. I see, of course, which we all know yes. is simple to make. Yes, this was supposed to launch a trilogy, an animated series, and a Chinese theme park. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this was going to be insane. This was top tier. The Chinese theme park is is really what what's the selling point of that for me. So from what I know about this, it's just mermaids against Americans. So according to IMDb, I, the premise according to IMDb is set in a mythical world, the story of an unlikely love story between a young human and a mermaid. That's it. Apparently, there's crab monsters. We're sure Who this knows? isn't a South Park episode. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm fairly certain they they lost 130 million on this, so it's, it's definitely not a South Park episode. I like how you frame that too, and that they have already lost it. It's not that it's been into production; it's that it's already spent, and that money's gone nowhere and done no good. Oh, they will. There's no if they release it tomorrow, if they sell it to Netflix, if they sell it to <laughs> Disney, if they do anything, it'll never recoup what it's spent. Oh my god! So Empires of the Deep for 130 million involving the you know the movie that's always made over and over again the love story between the mermaids and these regular everyday Americans which is just it's it's a premise that's really I mean it, it certainly has a built-in audience at least right it's not niche at all no but I mean at the time it was gonna be like pitched as the first underwater 3d blockbuster but even now we had Aquaman come out in 2018 so yes. that's gone too. <laughs> 
I wonder if the shape of water like finally did it in. Like that was the nail <laughs> no. in the coffin. You know, where that scene happens between Sally Hawkins and the fish man and he's obviously yes. aroused and then boom the the director's like that's it for me. This is $130 million. <laughs> Poof. It's gone. I mean, even then, like, I, so there is a trailer for this. It's on YouTube. Um, I believe this is the trailer that was shown to critics in 2012 that was met with terrible reviews. It's a good start for $130 million. Yes. yes. Well, it was um, originally, the initial budget was going to be $50 million, And then the, I believe the $130 million came in or that's where it ended up at because of all of the CGI costs after the fact. And CGI never goes wrong either. I mean, all we have to do is look at Gemini Man last year, and so it's really just <laughs> flawless production every time. I mean, this movie, it was kind of doomed from the start. I mean, yes, John Jung wrote the first initial script, but then it went through about 40 drafts over four years with 10 different writers. Oh, So he's not only a millionaire playboy producer on the side, he's also a, a made-from-scratch screenwriter in his free time. Apparently, mm. yes. Oh, that's a recipe to, yes. for disaster. I mean, Mike and I cover a lot of films where it's like, all right, if there's three screenwriters, we're starting to get worried. You know, six, it's a complete <laughs> flop. Ten different screenwriters is insane. That's nuts. Yes. They went through four directors... Okay, um, briefly, uh, Pit Off of Catwoman was on it. Um, and then Michael French, and then two others who I could not fully find their names so far. <laughs> so, but four in total. So it's a secret $130 million mermaid American love story Chinese billionaire project. Yes, and as far as I can see, as of 2018, many of the cast and crew were still not paid. Oh my God. And I was wondering where Olga Kurienko went with her your life and career. This is where. <laughs> She's the mermaid queen, um, but Monica Bellucci and Sharon Stone were originally sought after for the role, but they got Olga. <laughs> Poor Monica Bellucci's been through enough, I think, with all this, oh. the types of movies she's already done. My goodness. No, I couldn't find a, a whole lot about the production itself, and I know like that was the whole point of this, but I think in total, production covers so much of a movie before it ends up in theaters. But... On IMDb, I found this one piece of trivia in the trivia section. Um, one of the actresses, Arena Violet, quit the movie halfway through and had to escape the mountainside film set. <laughs> Subsequently, her character, the mermaid Dada, who is the bodyguard of Akka, played by John Jiang's mistress, Shi Yunfei, was cut from the film. <laughs> oh. That doesn't sound like a real sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the escape from the production sounds more harrowing than the actual content of the film. Yes. I think even though there's, there's not a lot of information about it, anytime you have the words Chinese billionaire funded, $130 million decade long and pit off all in the same production, it's probably a decent recipe to know where that film's going. None of these stories have anything to do with the plesiosaurs, which apparently were in the working title. <laughs> That I'm, I'm just guessing this entire production, everybody's just, you know, putting on all these crazy scared faces at the uh, green screen because the plesiosaurs are all CGI and 
They never even showed up. That was them burying the lead. They didn't want to give away the big twist of the plesiosaurs coming out in the third act to save everyone. My goodness. See, the thing is, too, is when you have a movie like this where it's set underwater, you have crab men, you have mermaids, <laughs> and your, your practical effects, your special effects makeup for your actors is so terrible that when you do a press conference for it, people are like, they came out wearing swimming caps? <laughs> Not sure what that was about. Um, and then you look at it and it's like, yeah, what the heck is on their heads? I don't know what's going on. You can't tell that they're supposed to be mermaids. Like, oh, this is a special effects makeup. No, this is like a, a swim cap that they have strapped on their head with dangly bits on it. <laughs> poor, poor Olga Kurilenko is just like giving an interview and screaming with her eyes for somebody to come save her. Meanwhile, the film's being <laughs> shot on top of this literal evil fortress in a mountain somewhere. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but so, like I said, it was an initially supposed to be released in 2013. The trailer was released in 2012 and critics hated it. Um, so they started doing some reshoots, I believe. And then the movie was announced as finished in 2014 and set for a December 2015 release after five years of post-production. <laughs> and then obviously that movie has never seen the light of day. I can't find any illegal versions of it. So I just think we need someone to be a real one maybe hack something and you know give us the give us the whatever is currently done of the movie because i need to see this i feel like it's important to my survival what's the point of anonymous existing if they're not going to do do a solid (laughs) like this for the film industry at large i agree all i know is the poster looks like my photoshop skills right now and i'm just learning photoshop this is just atrocious the poster looks like the worst version of that M. Night Shyamalan movie. Which, oh, what, Lady what was in that the Water. One? Lady, yeah. in the, Lady in the Water. It looks like that, but like oh, somehow God. even more awful. Where does her head end and the water begin? <laughs> I don't know. But did either of you watch the trailer that's on YouTube? Because I know you said you were looking it up. No. No, I didn't know there was a trailer. There's the trailer. I believe this is the, the 3D trailer that was shown to critics. It's been out for a while. I watched it and it's a mess. Like I know the basic premise of the movie based on IMDb and I could not tell you what this movie is about aside from the fact that it looks like a first year film student saw the final battle in Avengers Endgame and decided they could do that but underwater. That's the only thing I could see. It's such a mess. The CGI, I don't know where the 130 million went. I genuinely don't. (laughs) Imagine spending that much money on one film and having that kind of output. And you're like, what do you do with that? You can't pretend. You can't pretend at that point that anything you see is decent. You have to be blunt and honest and just be pissed that you lost that much money. Absolutely. Ten years. Somewhere Tommy Wiseau is smiling. That's all I know. See, that's the thing, too, is like if you did release it, you would have a cult following, but you have to release it properly. Mm-hmm. That, well, that's that goes back to we need somebody just to hack the mainframe here and get on it like that yes. Sandra Bullock movie from the mid 90s. I know nothing about technology. That's pretty much my frame of reference. But I'm pretty sure if you press a couple buttons, someone should be able to find it somewhere. Right. It's got to be hidden. It's got to be. <laughs> At first, I, I got so excited because I was watching the trailer and then it said empires of the deep full movie and then it was just like a rickroll i was like how dare you i got so excited it was like a two hour long rickroll i was so disappointed that's a hot start i gotta say i think it's gonna be tough to topple 130 million dollars <laughs> being like evaporated into the uh, ether of the world like that but all right that's our first production disaster mike what do you have 
So the Island of Dr. Moreau from 1996. I wish this movie was dead and buried and nobody ever saw it <laughs> like uh, Empire of the Deep. But th- there's actually a good documentary made about this. I don't know if either of you guys saw the film or the uh, documentary Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's The Island of Dr. Moreau. I have not. I know about the uh, some of the production so. disasters, but I've not seen it now. So it's on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime right now, so you, you could check it out. But basically, they have just disasters on every level. The disaster with casting, Bruce Willis was originally cast, but he drops out to divorce Demi Moore. They recast it. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, right. <laughs> they recast the role with Val Kilmer. He's supposed to be on the shoot for 80 days. He's like, no, I'm showing up for 40. And they're and they're like, all right, get Val Kilmer. You're going to be in a supporting role. And he already signed on. They won't let him out of his contract. So you get a grumpy Val Kilmer walking on set who, guess what, is filed with divorce papers from his wife of seven years once he gets there. <laughs> Oh, so this movie's The Marriage Killer. Okay. Just a running theme. You're attached to it, you get divorced. (laughs) Apparently. So apparently Rob Morrow of uh, Northern Exposure is put in the lead role. And after the first two days, he's gone. He just leaves. Two days. (laughs) Two days. Finally, David (laughs) Thewlis, who was the, I guess he's a main character in Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman. He's the guy with the gross teeth in uh, Fargo. That's, I think, season two. Okay. Okay. Character actor his whole career. He cannot carry the film, but he's eventually put in the role. Anyway, casting nightmares. We have the director, Richard Stanley, who is an indie filmmaker and, uh, you know, had a lot of success with this movie, Hardware. He's in the driver's seat of the pre-production for four years, and he lasts on set for four days. <laughs> before they so not him. only is it killing long-term marriages, it's killing short-term careers, too. Yeah. Apparently. Is it raining fire? What is so bad about this <laughs> all right. production? All right. So there are a couple things. Number one, there's a hurricane on the edge of the Australian rainforest, Cames, Australia, North Queensland. That delays production like crazy. So mm-hmm. acts of God are going to show up throughout this. Number two, we have uh, Marlon Brando. And this is tragic. Uh, Marlon Brando's daughter dies before oh, filming. God. So Marlon Brando was... Uh, he was the number one ally for Richard Stanley. Like, Richard, Richard Stanley was skipping meetings. He would not have kept his job from all these super suits at the studio because he's used to indie filmmaking. He's not used to, uh, you know, all the big-budget film meetings and having to listen to their notes, etc. He would have been fired <laughs> if not for Marlon Brando being in his corner. But Marlon Brando goes off to his own private island and mourns his daughter, uh, naturally. Oh, no. So he doesn't show up for, like, weeks later. And Marlon Brando's always had a notorious work ethic in the business. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Val, Val Kilmer also shows up four days late. So the four days that actually Richard Stanley gets to work with people, you know, Val Kilmer is apparently just questioning his every direction. He's belligerent. <laughs> he's he's putting out cigarettes on people's facial hair to amuse himself. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So Kilmer just doesn't want to be there sabotaging it every step of the way. And Stanley's fired. But get this. Richard Stanley doesn't leave. He stays on and he lives in the woods. 
and he basically is talking to set designers, telling them, "Look, let's set this whole thing on fire." And he's trying to get maybe he was maybe he was trying to get divorced from his wife, and he was hoping those papers would come. <laughs> yeah, I, this is both psychotic, but I'm so intrigued by him trying to become the ghost of the production. Like, <laughs> any any you know, if he if you talk about it with him now, he's like, or you know, I'm, I'm watching his interviews now, and he's like, you know, I was immature back then. That's how he phrases it. But yeah, I think so, <laughs> <Right>. man. <laughs> That's why I stalked the production after I was How officially let go. How old was he go. at this time? He was in his early 20s because he came off of like a couple oh, of monster yeah. indie film hits. And yeah, he was totally in over his mm-hmm. head. But he becomes like the ghost of the production. They lock down security once Brando gets there. And of course, he's pissed as if he needs an excuse to be difficult. He's pissed that Stanley's gone. Uh, but you mm-hmm. have him ghosting the productions, trying to sabotage it. And he starts showing up as an extra dressed as a dog man every day. And this is like, there's evidence in this, in the documentary, Richard Stanley just like waving to people. So he keeps being this ghost of the production throughout and he keeps talking trash. What does it mean to show up dressed as a dog man every day as an extra? (laughs) So the Island of Dr. Moreau is about humans spliced with animals. It's basically... It's basically mm-hmm. the South Park sketch. Again, maybe South Park's going to be a theme <laughs> in all of our you know, entries today. But all right. So they finally get to shooting, right? And Brando, of course, hates Kilmer. They just mm-hmm. hate each other with a passion <laughs> to the point where they won't leave their trailers. There was a two-day just uh, delay because neither one wanted to leave their trailers first and be the one that was waiting for the other one on set. I mean, I get it. Right, right, of course. <laughs> you don't want to cave first. Completely Meanwhile, Stanley's whispering from the forest, like, just leave your trailer. <laughs> so everything's running off the rails. You got John Frankenheimer, who Manchurian candidate. You know, he's done a lot of, like, mercenary work as a director throughout his career. He's kind of a stay on, you know, on schedule, under budget kind of guy. And he's getting things done, but he's letting people just full-blown mutiny amongst the cast. You have Thulis and Brando. They're just not learning any of their lines. They're improvising everything, which, if you watch the movie, nonsense plot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you said dog, man, I kind of uh, gave that away. (laughs) Already you have a pretty, like, yeah, messy premise like oh it's he just makes human animal hybrids <laughs> right, oh, okay. right. we've all been there we've all done it yeah and they're finally trying to get brando to say some of his lines it comes to the point where they have to put a recording or an audio device in his ear and they spit the lines to him in between like there's long pauses in this movie it's really gruesome and terrible like because he's getting fed his lines in his ear marlon brando one of the greatest actors of our generation (laughs) anyway 1996 it, it got it had a budget of 40 million it ballooned to 75 of course it's a disaster 49 million dollars at the box office and theaters terrible reviews that have amounted to now 24 percent on rotten tomatoes c minus audience score six razzie nominations for the island of dr moreau it got nominated for something <laughs> it got nominated for razzies but that's something right. it's memorable if nothing else yes right? If it would have been worse is if it got nothing at the Razzies, like nothing at all. Like, you know, it's not even worth our time at like, the Razzies. We're the Razzies and we're not going to stoop to this level of this production. Yes. <laughs> Still, if it like a one Razzies, maybe it would, you know, they would feel even better. But it, this is kind of the movie that's just so off-putting. You're just like, ugh, don't even pay attention to it. <laughs> So we're two for two in terms of just absolute disasters. It's a good start. 
Uh, yeah. Um, I was gonna talk about like haunted productions and loss of life and cursed sets and all that, but I couldn't find a proper place to land the ending. And I figured we're lucky enough to have a guest on here, and I didn't want to bum her out. So at the last second, <laughs> I pivoted, and I want to talk about something that's equally as upsetting, but not nearly as morally questionable. Uh, and that's Kevin Costner films. So. <laughs> I landed on Waterworld. Um, Amanda, have have you seen Waterworld? I don't think so. It's one of those movies that, like, my dad and I both love movies. My dad is definitely the one who got me into movies. Like, he took me to see Spider-Man as my first movie in theaters when I was, like, three. Like, so I, it's one of the movies he always tells me, like, you have to watch this because it was just a mess. You have to watch it. <laughs> and then it's just, I have never seen it. See, it, well, it's proof that the old adage, father knows best, is absolutely true. That's exactly why you do have to watch it, but you you won't enjoy it. Mike, have you seen it? Yeah. I have seen it a long time ago, and I will say that Dennis Hopper is going to become a theme in this episode as well. So, yeah, <laughs> Dennis Hopper's. <laughs> Much like when you were three seeing Spider Man, Amanda, I, I remember being eight and watching Waterworld for the first time at a sleepover. Why this was being showed to eight years old, eight years old at a sleepover <laughs> is another issue and probably explains a lot about my current status. But I, I remember being eight. I remember watching this, and I remember at the time thinking to myself, oh, this is that movie that there's been a lot of hype about. I wonder what all the hype was about. And like looking back on it, I should have known why an eight-year-old had heard about the production disaster that was this movie. It must have meant that it was truly something to behold. And yeah, there was a reason that an eight-year-old Mike One had heard about it because this was just a mess. And I wanted to bring a little context first. Like the most memorable point about Waterworld Shitstorm is that it went hilariously over budget during a time where budgets were already <laughs> ballooning with excess. Like this was Clinton's 90s, right? So the economy was booming for like a decade. 1978 Superman was the highest produced film in Hollywood history. And before that, it took the reins over from Cleopatra, which was its own mess in 1963. So for 25 years, those two movies were like the high watermark in terms of Hollywood excess. Between 1988 and 1995, the most expensive production movie would change hands seven times. And Waterworld was the seventh of those films. Mike, I wonder if uh, in years ahead of today, people are going to look back on the United States and they're going to be like... They went hilariously over budget during the pandemic. <laughs> hilarious over budget. Oh my god! I like to think that Waterworld is like the realization of Empire of the Sun, in that they have these human guild type hybrid type things, and there is a love story at the heart of it. So maybe this is where Empire of the Sun's main draw and motivation the came. Deep. They were like, "Let's take Waterworld, let's cross it with Avatar, and that'll be easy." You're calling it Empire of the Sun, though. That's a Christian Bale Spielberg movie. Um, yeah, yeah, I know you. Uh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Deep Sun. That's a. Uh, that's on me. I've seen <laughs> way too many movies, guys. I'm, I apologize. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> what you had in Waterworld, much like I had Brando and Val Kilmer refusing to leave their trailers at different times. You had director Kevin Reynolds and star Kevin Costner who for whatever reason were paired up because they had already had a professional falling out in filming 1991's Robin Hood and they already vowed to never work with each other again but the producers had them come in the room, squash their beef, put it all behind them and agree to not let things get in the way of Waterworld being a smashing success because what happened in Robin Hood was Kevin Costner was being way too anal about the, the littlest things and prioritizing filming and Reynolds got fed up and left the production and Kevin Costner ended up stepping in at the last second to finish as the director. 
I bet you can't guess what happened in the filming of Waterworld. <laughs> the exact same thing. Kevin Reynolds got pissed off. He ended up leaving once the uh, final editing was cut down from 10 weeks to 5 weeks. Kevin Costner stepped in. He was the director, and it was just a mess from the get-go. This film started with a production of $65 million as the approved production uh, cost from Universal. Like hilariously over budget from here. Before <laughs> the first camera was powered on, it had a $100 million budget. It would go on to be 172 to $175 million. But oh. thank God it made money at the end of the day, though, after like the international Jeez. market. Because, you know, we got things like The Postman. So that's all reason to smile for us. I'm not a big Kevin Costner guy, Amanda, are you? Not really. Mike, are you a Costner fan? I know we've talked about stuff. I like a baseball movie or two, but I think he's made, you know, maybe too, too many baseball movies, as we've established already. (laughs) (laughs) Too, too many baseball movies, too many post-apocalyptic movies. He's good in Bull Durham. Right. That's the the length. I think that's the the mark we can keep him at. Uh, Amanda, I don't think you need to see Waterworld unless you want to just experience it. I do feel like that's something you need to know, you know? Like, you need to see, like, okay, you hear all these issues, and then you have to see, because... The whole thing I know is that didn't they sign on to the movie before there was even a finished script? Yeah, that's another thing. The script, the the whole film started as like this $3 million idea and then it ballooned into this $172 million because the script in the first machination was like, well, it can't be done for less than $5 million. Then it can't be done for less than $10 million. And then when all the rewrites were done, you had a $5 million floating city that got ruined by a hurricane and had to be rebuilt on the fly. <laughs> So hurricanes are just a trend right now, aren't they? <laughs> right. It's hurricanes, and it's uh, it's the bad guy from Waterworld that's going to be the trend as going forward. <laughs> so we're good with the first round. Amanda, what's your second? So I have Chaos Walking. So this is a movie that will most likely come out, but in production after some early test screenings with executives at Lionsgate, it was deemed as unreleasable. <laughs> good start. <laughs> So the movie Chaos Walking was actually the, an adaptation of the first book in the Chaos Walking trilogy, The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness. So already we've got a book adaptation by Hollywood. The bar is low. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the film was directed by Doug Lyman and is starring Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. That's a literal good start. That's not sarcastic. That's a yeah. solid cast. That's a good cast. That's a good start. It also has Mads Mikkelsen, Damian Bashir, Kurt Stutter, Nick Jonas, Cynthia Revio. You know, there's... Some good cast in there. Mm-hmm. Pretty much a good solid cast. And then it has six credited writers. I believe the uh, writer of the book, Patrick Ness, is also in there. Okay, so why is this such a disaster? Okay, so uh, quick premise for uh, from Wikipedia. Okay, in the near future, Todd Hewitt, played by Holland, has been brought up to believe that a pathogen has killed all women in a colony world and unleashed noise. The special ability to hear people's and animals' minds. Later, he comes upon a patch of silence and soon discovers the source of the silence, a mysterious woman named Viola Ede, played by Ridley, the first he has ever met. On the run, they learn more about the true history of the New World. So already, you've got kind of a decent, like an interesting plot. I think there could be a lot to be done with that. You know, principal photography began in uh, August of 2017 and wrapped in November. And then... It was initially supposed to be released by March 1st, 2019, but as that date started approaching, no one heard anything about the movie. Nothing was discussed. <laughs> no one heard anything. There was no trailer release, no promotional photos. Um, even now, from what I can see, only thing I've seen is set photos, mm-hmm. like where there's, cl- like there's a camera in the shot, 
Um, like there's a boom in the shot. Uh, Daisy Ridley's wig looks really fake. I don't know if that's gonna work out in final production. And then apparently in an earnings call in early uh, 2019, Lionsgate confirmed that it would be missing the due date uh, to do reshoots and the movie could be would be coming out sometime in 2020. Oh, so we just gotta wait it out now. <laughs> it was following poor test screenings though that they announced that. So supposedly they were planning out reshoots because executives had seen the movie and said, we cannot release this. I can figure out a few red flags. There, let's... <laughs> Let's be honest here. Number one, if you have a Charlie Kaufman adaptation, right, <laughs> nobody should be rewriting Charlie Kaufman. Like, that's just a worthless adapt, you know, worthless source material to start with. Especially, you know, we've seen, like, novelists try to write screenplays and fail miserably. You know, Exorcist 3 comes to mind, right? Right. So those are two major red flags, major problems right off the bat. I, I guess... We have a situation where all these actors still look kind of young, where where this movie could come out. Mm-hmm. But I think my my second biggest red flag is, and it works for it works sometimes. Like what was that movie on Netflix, the big hit, Sandra Bullock? Uh, Bird oh, Bird Box. Box. Yeah. All right. Whenever you're making a movie about like the senses that are not the sense of sight, it, it could be an issue. Like, A Quiet Place kind of worked, right? Because mm-hmm. you can see everything that you can hear. Bird Box is a little, you know, dicey. I think, you remember the movie by the guy who did uh, Constant Gardener? Well, he made a movie where everybody was blind. And I, I know that oh. new Apple TV show is like, see, everybody's blind. Yes. Yes, with Jason mm. Momoa, yeah. Oh, like, like this movie is about hearing, you know, a, a, a certain group of people that can hear another certain group of people. Like how is that yeah. cinematic? You're you're taking it way more sophisticated than I am, which is nothing new. But when Amanda <laughs> described the premise, I was like, "Oh, so it's post-apocalyptic? What women want, basically?" That's, oh god! I mean, it's if you could hear thoughts of women, it's like that's exactly what I thought of. So I'm like, "Oh, they're taking Mel Gibson, which is what everyone should be following right now in 2020, and they're just making a new film of it. Good job." And also, what's with Tom Holland being attached to these productions that are just going nowhere? Because isn't he attached to Uncharted too, which has been in production hell forever? I think so. Like the guy's got more talent than this. He should be. Mm-hmm. What, what? Why is what? Poor Tom Holland. I, I weep for that millionaire. He's probably got a good agent because he's getting on all these high-profile projects. The problem is he's you know swung in, in two big misses here. But again, it comes back to the fact that like. You know, there's a noise in this part of the world of the movie, and then there's a silence in that part of the mo- world of the movie. And how the hell is that cinematic for our eyes? I don't mm-hmm. understand this. Yeah, it's like, I think they're trying to bank on like, oh my God, they can hear each other's thoughts and animals' thoughts. Okay, how do you do that without it being super weird? Because you just have voiceovers constantly. Their ear hearing is like, they're playing as people are talking. Like, how do you do that? Well, it worked phenomenally well with Doolittle this past January. Oh, dear God. I almost did Doolittle. I almost did Doolittle. <laughs> I just picture the, you remember the end of say, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where she's like the pet detective. Literally, she can hear the pets. Yes. So they just show her eyes light up. Like, that's going to be Tom Holland in this movie. I blame Nick Jonas for being involved. <laughs> none of the set production, none of the photos that I found of set show him at all. Like, I can't find any of Mads. I can't find any of Cynthia. I only see Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. 
<laughs> I, I'm like better, ha- better handlers. Yeah, I was so confused. I was like, wait a minute, they're in. Are they in the movie? Because I'm not seeing them anywhere else. <laughs> it's not a real movie. Some Hollywood producer just put a list of names out there just for fun. <laughs> Maybe the noise is Cynthia Erivo and the silence is Nick Jonas. <laughs> So, but they did the reshoots, and of course, reshoots got delayed because Daisy Ridley was doing the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and Tom Holland was committed to Spider-Man: Far From Home. But the reshoots added another fifteen million to the already hundred million dollar budget for the movie. So I guess they're invested. Yeah. I, I mean, I would. Well, I, I would say if you do over a hundred million, you have to like put it out. But uh, Empire of the Sun slash Deep proved that's not the case. So <laughs> at this time, there is a release date. It's set to release January in 2020, 2021. So. Do, do you think it actually comes out? <laughs> I mean, I don't know because I feel like, well, like th- it was never going to come out in 2020, probably even pre-corona. It was never going to come out in 2020, I think. But supposedly, so uh, take this with a grain of salt because I only found this on Reddit. Um, these couple of things, uh, according to uh, fans that I had seen on Twitter talking about this, at an event pre-corona, some fans did actually ask Tom Holland at an event like about the movie because they loved the books, and Tom Holland straight up told them we actually didn't stay close to the source material at all. <laughs> oh, Which, I mean, it's a Hollywood book adaptation. That could mean any number of things. Right, could actually go in a good direction. Mm-hmm. And then also, according to uh, Reddit, I found this about they apparently they did in fact do more test screenings at the end of 2019 to good results, like good reviews came out of these test screenings for not executives, but just people coming to test screenings. And then there was one more uh, scheduled for January, but then Corona. So who knows if that came from anything, but there was talk of a trailer coming and that never came out. So there's at least hope. Yeah, there's something. (laughs) there's something um but apparently at some point in the last nine months and who knows if this means anything but lyman did unfollow tom holland on instagram uh fans took this as a nervous sign they don't think that's good i love the research you did for this (laughs) (laughs) um Really quick, just a couple of some onset issues that I found. Um, all of these involve Tom Holland for some reason. Tom Holland had his nose broken by a stuntman during a fight scene during the first week of filming. He apparently <laughs> decided to get his wisdom teeth out during filming. There's no notice of like whether it was an emergency surgery, because sometimes that does happen with wisdom teeth. But he was laid up for four days, and that halted production. Um, and then also on the last day of filming, Holland lost consciousness on camera during a scene where he was having to hold his breath underwater. So basically, Tom Holland was on set and he's like, man, I'd rather have a teeth pulled than keep filming this movie. Apparently. And somebody nearby was like, yeah? <laughs> so I wonder if Tom Holland was trying to use this as like the buffer to get him to Cherry. Because apparently he's going to be in Cherry and he's going to be like a ruthless killer. Like that movie is like hard R. And he just became, you know, he just was the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Nobody knows him as anything in between. And this mm-hmm. one sounds like he's trying to, you know, at least have some stuff. They tried, they, oh my gosh, okay, no, they tried, <laughs> so he is like, you know, he's known, he's got a baby face, okay, that that works out for Marvel because they wanted to make him a little younger, but apparently he was asked to grow as much facial hair as he possibly could for this role, and he could only do like a little bit of a baby soul patch at the bottom of his chin. It's still, it's like a stubbly little soul patch. You went to the ends of the internet to find information on this movie, and, and I appreciate it deeply. 
Well, maybe it'll maybe it'll fit now because he's a daddy with uh, with Nicki Minaj there. So <laughs> maybe it actually it's serendipitous and it all works out. The test screening was good, and I, I am so looking forward to both of your well, movies so wait, far as well. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait. I'm usually in tune with pop culture things. What about him and Nicki Minaj? <laughs> okay, <laughs> they had they had their first child. Yeah, they announced it on Instagram. Stop. Look, I know you're not being serious. No, I'm serious. No, Nicki Minaj announced that she was pregnant. I'm sure you heard about that. And yes. then Tom Holland posted on Instagram that he's leaving acting so that he can help be a good father. I can't believe Mike knew that and I didn't. Okay. I'll buy I had it. Tom Holland and Nicki Minaj just in my head for the last two months now. I can't believe it didn't come out of my mouth till now. Well, I wish them nothing but the best in raising their child that is obviously real between them. All right, Mike. (laughs) Go ahead. Top Tom Holland and Nicki Minaj. Well, it's the perfect time to talk about Apocalypse Now. We have uh, Hearts of Darkness, guys. Hearts of Darkness is perhaps the best documentary ever about making of a movie like this is batshit crazy stuff it's called hearts of darkness a filmmaker's apocalypse it was uh based on footage shot by francis ford coppola's wife who documented the entire production and she put this out in 1991 so first of all casting issues to you know piggyback on what i said before harvey keitel started out as the lead he was replaced in a week with Martin Sheen. <laughs> Wait, did they Martin? start? Were they in production already in, when he was replaced? In production for a week because Scorsese re- uh, recommended Keitel, right? Because they just did Mean Streets together and Coppola and Scorsese are buddies. He goes with Marty's recommendation and then hates Keitel and he has to replace him <laughs> after a week. <laughs> Why do you have this string of all these people that are attached to these movies for mere days before they walk away? I, I guess that's the signifier of just a disastrous production right off the bat. <laughs> Your protagonist is immediately fired. <laughs> Not a good sign. So to make matters worse, Martin Sheen has a serious heart attack and nearly dies at the beginning of this shoot. Jesus. This was, Lord. Yeah, it'll delay production several months. Uh, at the time, Sheen crawls out of his room at 2 a.m. He goes a quarter of a mile out of his house and down a local highway before finding help. <laughs> and apparently, whatever help found him gave him his last rights on the road there. <laughs> oh my God. What? Who, who found what? him? <laughs> Ma- Max von Sindel from The Exorcist, maybe? I have no idea. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry, I said months. This was a six-week delay because Sheen apparently lies to the studios about what happened. He says he had a heat stroke and he's hospitalized for a while, but he lies. I think they would have, you know, replaced him with somebody else. If they I mean, that's pretty badass. That's pretty badass. <laughs> Do we know how old he was at the time of filming? Uh, I, I mean, it's the 1970s and there's a lot of drugs going around. I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, he was in his 40s, matter. but his heart was 114. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing he was like early 30s, but yeah, I mean, he's it's not good. It's not good. But it's probably a cocaine issue, just like cocaine was an issue on the rest of the set here because everybody was loaded. I mean, there was just Oh, nice. There's like... drugs in my last story as well. Go ahead. <laughs> One of these actors famously, Sam Bottoms, he says, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I did this entire shoot on LSD. <laughs> 
Sam Bottoms. And then, of course, to make matters even worse, Dennis Hopper is there, and he's being Dennis Hopper. So, <laughs> recipe for disaster. They're all alone in the jungle, just doing drugs. And uh, I, I guess Vietnam is the same thing, right? So, it makes sense. But that's, that's all the casting problems before Marlon Brando arrives. <laughs> he, of course, arrives overweight, knowing none of his lines, zero of them. He argues with Coppola on every single thing to the point where Coppola's like, all right, just do whatever you want. He lets Brando improvise several of the biggest scenes, and <laughs> I guess it was successful. I mean, it's a good, damn good movie, right? But there's a point where Brando won't go on set with Dennis Hopper because he's like Michael Jordan. He needs an antagonist. And so he hates <laughs> Dennis Hopper. And those two characters are like, they're the most important to one another. So they, they have to shoot those scenes separately. And finally, when Brando's done with this thing, he tells Coppola, he's like, I've had enough. If you need somebody else for my role, just hire somebody else. I'm gone. <laughs> and he just, he just leaves. <laughs> never like Robert Downey turning to, to the Marvel execs and be like, I don't want to do this Iron Man guy anymore. Get somebody else. <laughs> so that's just the human element. Obviously, there's a, you know the act of God thing. Like I said, you know, they're shooting in the jungles of the Philippines. So they have all these closed sets. And tigers and other wild animals stalk the sets at night. They walk through the sets, and they pr- apparently cause all kinds of issues. Well, yeah, the f- the abject terror, I'm sure, also didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> they were renting helicopters for the from the government there in the Philippines, who just so happened to be at war in a you know a border war, and they keep commandeering all of Coppola's helicopters. <laughs> so whenever he's ready to use his helicopters, they get commandeered for wartime. Ooh. Who was the guy in charge of, like, picking out where to shoot? Well, it all comes back to Coppola at the end of the day. You'll see why in a minute. But, all right, so that's just, you know, a couple things going on. Ongoing issues, let's say. They get hit with a huge typhoon in the middle of production. Kills almost 400 people in the Philippines. And it causes a two-month shutdown. So this was a five-month shoot. It becomes 16 months. They were supposed to release Apocalypse Now in May of 78. It doesn't get released till August of 79. And there's a, there's some more delays here because obviously the, the budget went way over, right? Because they have this crew that they have to put up in hotels in the Philippines for an extra 11 months. Mm-hmm. And they're just doing nothing but drugs. They, there, <laughs> there, was, there was one point. There was one point where payroll was actually stolen by somebody, and Coppola had to go out of pocket to just pay everybody their weekly salary. I mean, that's commitment, I would say. Let's let's look at it that way. I have so many questions. <laughs> commitment to their addictions, right? Yeah, my God. Uh, so, all right, so this is the, the kicker, right? Francis Ford Coppola decided to finance this entire thing from the jump. It started out with a budget of $5 million, which he could handle. He's coming off The Godfather, right? Mm-hmm. It explodes to a budget of $18 million. He literally sells everything he owns back in the States. He mortgages his estate. He sells everything he owns. He's, like, selling equipment. He's telling the camera, his wife, who, who's holding the camera, that, you know, during this documentary, he's like, I need to kill myself because I'm going to be bankrupt. <laughs> oh like, to the screen. It's unbelievable. Like, he's having, like, these... <laughs> Epic. He's having these epic three-hour-long just just sobbing sessions 
Francis Ford Coppola on a bench sobbing after one of these epic scenes play out. And like, like Martin Sheen couldn't believe it. He's like, I just thought, you know, it was the best scene of my career. And then Francis Ford Coppola goes off and he cries for three hours. You want some Coke, Francis? Would that help? <laughs> Luckily, Francis Ford Coppola also, during this whole financing thing, acquired the rights to this project in perpetuity, guys, because this was a huge hit. Somehow, he, re- he rec- uh, filmed over a, a million feet of film. Jesus. None of the sound was usable. They had to re-record all the sound. Again, you know, another reason for the delays and the over-budget. Re-record all the sound. But once they finished it, this movie would make over $150 million worldwide. Many, Much of those profits going directly to Coppola. It won the Palme d'Or can, and it got nominated for eight Oscars, winning two, ironically, for cinematography and <laughs> best sound. <laughs> I mean, that's the best case scenario for a production disaster, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't think New Mutants is going to touch Apocalypse <laughs> Now, but it's proof at least that you you don't have to have a terrible film at the end of the day. That's yeah. a bright line. It's amazing how the regular cut is good, but there's also like a six-hour cut. I don't know if you guys ever seen the Redux cut. I the have. Whole se- oh, I love that I got that to see it last too. year in theaters. Oh, wow. That sequence, you know, with the French family, I thought was one of the best sequences in, in the film. Obviously, mm-hmm. they cut it out for the theatrical cut, but both mm-hmm. kind of worked. Yeah, absolutely. At what point, do if you're dealing with Marlon Brando... <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't work do with Marlon Brando, say, you deal with Marlon Brando. Right, I guess that's the answer, right? That's, that's what you're <laughs> signing up for. <laughs> There's got to be a limit to the guy. Well, there were right. three sections. There were three sections to my presentation. There, one was a typhoon-based section. <laughs> Another one was budgetary stuff, and then the third one was Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the human embodiment of a typhoon on film production. Exactly. All right, Mike, what do you got? Yeah, my number two. I don't think it's going to be able to hold a candle to either of your guys. What you just said, <laughs> but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, uh, my number two is the production of Alien Three which I guess is kind of proper considering we've been teasing doing a Fincher series, but it's also improper considering that David Fincher himself has disavowed this movie from being part of his legacy. <laughs> That's never a good sign. Right, it's, it's rough. It's rough in the Fincher legacy. The list of issues that occurred during production of this movie, they kind of read like an old Stefan bit from Weekend Update on SNL back in the day. It's like... This film had everything. Absurdly high expectations, two wildly successful prequels according to both critics and box office, a massive budget, six years of build-up between installments, and then things started getting weird. There were treatments from four to seven different established writers before settling on the backdrop of this film being a wooden sanctuary inhabited by space monks who dislike technology, as one does. A promise to Sigourney Weaver who wouldn't return unless Ripley was relegated to a supporting character, which they gave her and then immediately reneged on that promise and adopted a premise in which Ripley was the lone survivor and main character once again. (laughs) A director attached in Rennie Harlan who left 
two months before shooting was to begin because of the aforementioned wooden monk sanctuary had become a floating prison planet now in actuality, which is what the film ended up having and was a creative direction far removed from what Harlan's hopes were for the movie to either have xenomorphs invade Earth or have the Ripley crew going to the xenomorphs home planet. A reliance by the studio once Harlan left that this new director would be the type of auteur who can just set up quick, shoot scenes assigned without being meticulous or worrying about the minutia of a scene, and that director being David Fincher. A feud between the Fox producers and Fincher himself once they realized that David Fincher was David Fincher, eventually leading to Fincher walking away from the production altogether and Fox doing their own reshoots, but still sticking Fincher's name on the end of this. Mm. The craziest part to me is that, have you seen Alien 3, either one of you? Yes, Mm -hmm. but years ago. I'm sorry to all three of us for having (laughs) to do that. But that floating prison planet, to me, was the worst of all the pitches that the four to seven writers had for this movie because (laughs) the ideas they they passed and Fox passed on were Xenomorphs coming to Earth, Ripley and company going to the Xenomorphs home planet, the wooden anti-tech monk planet starring Ripley, which, I mean, at least it was something different, a Cold War analogy involving Xenomorph DNA being honed for bioweapon use in a story centered around Hicks, Ripley and Newt landing on a Blade Runner-type futuristic planet and hunting a new type of alien that had been terrorizing it, and even a Wild West shootout type of sequel, which, <laughs> all right, maybe what we got wasn't the worst idea that was possible, but still, those are the, the ideas that Alien 3 wasn't including Mm -hmm. the teaser that they had, which said that Xenomorphs would be coming to Earth, and that was released on TV in 1992. Mm -hmm. And we ended up with a a floating prison planet instead. And they immediately assassinate all of their characters by admitting to the fact that they're all criminals and pedophiles and (laughs) (laughs) chauvinistic nightmares that you want to see die. So it's not like you can't even root for any of them. And then to make matters even more annoying, Mike, instead of using like a number three, like a regular numeral, they use an exponent. They use an exponent as a three. Alien cubed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Question. Do we know why Sigourney Weaver wanted to have Ripley be a supporting character in this one? Does anyone know? What I found was she just was done with sequels. She didn't want to be the girl from Alien her entire career. That's so fair. she advocated. She's like, I'll do it if you let Ripley either like just be a supporting character. And then when they told her she was going to be the main character, she said, fine, but Ripley has to die then. I'm done <laughs> with this series. So she did pull a Robert Downey Jr. in this one. Right, exactly, yeah. She was like, you know Just what, aliens doesn't need Ripley. Yeah. But also, one of the ideas you mentioned was like, oh, they find new aliens. I don't think that would have worked because half the draw for the series is the xenomorphs. You know, them finding new aliens unless they have the xenomorphs there as well. I don't think that would work. I tend to agree with you and and think that... that it, but again, at least to me, all those ideas were different mm-hmm. and not, you know... What we'll we got. just do a floating prison planet with pedophiles that go off into this oven at the very beginning and kill off all your favorites. <laughs> I can't imagine a major studio thinking this is the best idea we have. Let's run with it. Yeah. I'm just shocked that David Fincher like had a robust career after this. This is like a huge failure right off the bat. It's funny, too, because if you go look at any interviews, everybody is still so apologetic to Fincher, everyone who was involved with the production, and they were like, I knew Fincher had talent from the moment he stepped on set. It was Fox who were the bastards here. (laughs) All right, two's down. Let's go into our final round here. Amanda? Okay, so 
I did Titanic, but in kind of a different way, because Titanic, one of the biggest movies of all time, has a unsolved mystery attached to it, and I'm obsessed with it. Oh, nice. Okay, so this movie was, I believe, the first to cross the one billion at the box office, but it had a messy time getting there. Mm. Uh, the original budget was somewhere around 100 million and then ended up around 200 million, at the time, the most expensive movie ever made. Mm-hmm. James Cameron was reportedly a nightmare on set. Kate Winslet is quoted saying that she was genuinely frightened by him. Bill Mechanic, a Fox executive, went down to Mexico to see what the production delays were about and said Cameron was furious to see him. He said, quote, It was three or four o'clock in the morning, and if he had a gun in his trailer, he would have shot me. <laughs> During sinking scenes where they were inside the giant pools, apparently Cameron allegedly refused to let actors leave the water, which resulted in a lot of them just peeing in the pools. Kate Winslet admitted to also taking part in this. Ew. Oscars. <laughs> Some of the cast was allowed to wear wetsuits, but the water was kept uh, around 60 degrees, so not quite the icy water of the North Atlantic Ocean, but still quite miserable. They are all very clearly freezing in those scenes. It's not just acting. Yeah, that's that's uncomfortable. Yeah. I was going to say, if they're all peeing in the water, though, maybe it goes up to 65. I don't know. Maybe that's why it was <laughs> 60 degrees. Well, if you look at the, the, the set photos, it's like a huge pool. Like, it's giant. I mean, they're trying to make it seem like they're in the ocean, obviously. But I think because the, a lot of the photos that people see, it's just Rose and Jack on the, uh, the door that they definitely both could have fit on. But whatever. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> In the one smaller pool, but then for the bigger shots showing everyone in the water, it's like a, a massive pool. I couldn't find the actual measurements for it, but it's huge. I mean, they, yeah, they did a good job with the visuals, certainly. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you buy that that's certainly not on a soundstage, just in a massive pool, which is what I read is how they shot it to begin mm -hmm. with. So, um, But Kate Winslet chipped an elbow bone and got banged up on set to the point that makeup artists used her bruises as reference to keep up the consistency for her character. Good God. Oh. She allegedly um, tried to leave set repeatedly, but stayed on regardless. Um, but I wanted to talk about the Titanic for one reason in particular. The reportedly unsolved mystery of the spiked chowder. <laughs> okay. I don't think yeah. I'm familiar with this. Okay. So I know I heard about this story from when I was little. Um, we, I live in Orange County. Okay. Orange County, California. We're not even an hour outside of LA. It's not hard to find someone who was once a background actor in something. So when my brother and I were little, we went to this kid's hairdresser where it was run by someone who was a background extra on the Titanic. And then also someone who was another extra on the Titanic worked for my dad at one point. So I heard this story through them, and then I didn't realize that it was an unsolved mystery, basically. They made it sound like, oh, everyone knows who did it. But basically, on the last night of filming in Nova Scotia before production was moving to Mexico, cast and crew broke for lunch around midnight. More than 60 people, including Bill Paxton and James Cameron, ate the chowder. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I'm very into this story. <laughs> <laughs> the effects of the later confirmed to be PCP lace chowder didn't take long to set in. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cameron was standing on set and suddenly felt woozy and, quote, thought the shellfish might have contained paralytic shellfish neurotoxin, which is very dangerous, end quote, and went to go vomit. Everyone was gone when he came back. Like, he came back to set, <laughs> looking at the monitors, and it was just barren. He said it was like the Twilight Zone. Like, I could not find anyone on set. You know a movie you guys would love? 
And my, the fans who have seen it will just laugh in their cars. It's Climax. If you like this story, watch Climax from <laughs> Gaspar Noe. <laughs> the real-life Gaspar Noe on set. This is unbelievable. Paxton said some people were laughing, some crying, some vomiting. He said that one minute he was fine, and the next he was so anxious he wanted to breathe into a paper bag. <laughs> Apparently, Cameron agreed that this was an apt assessment. Apparently, a Russian PA who was working as a translator on set said that he felt toxic and beside himself. Everyone was moved to a local general hospital into cubicles, but it didn't last long before they were moving around between cubicles and racing <laughs> wheelchairs down the hallways. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Cameron was stabbed in the face with a pen by a crew member. He said he, la- oh. <laughs> he said he was laughing and crying the whole time. And there was a conga line allegedly led by DP Caleb Deschanel. I say allegedly because apparently for the Vanity Fair article that I got this portion of the story from, Deschanel refused to comment, but Paxton also referenced the conga line. So someone had to be in the front of the conga line. <laughs> Who was leading the Congo? <laughs> Hospital staff believed it to be a weird case of food poisoning, so they had them all take liquid charcoal. And according to uh, Cameron, he's like, it was a box of vile stuff, is what he referenced it as. Police were later called, and toxicology reports confirmed it to be PCP. The case was investigated for two and a half years by Halifax police, and later the case was closed due to lack of suspects. Okay. Oh my God. And you know somebody who was affected by this personally? Or you met somebody who was affected by this personally? Yes. So everyone has different theories about who it was. The CEO of the catering company who was putting the food out and therefore serving the chowder claimed it was, quote, the Hollywood crowd bringing in the psychedelic shit. I don't think it was purposefully done to hurt somebody. It was done like a party thing that got carried away. Yeah, I'll say with wheelchair races in the local, <laughs> local hospital. Cameron never named a suspect, but he is fairly certain he knows who did it. We had fired a crew member the day before because they were creating trouble for the caterers. So we believe the poisoning was the idiot's plan to get back at the caterers, whom we did fire promptly the following day, so it worked. And then in another interview with Vice about the chowder, Marilyn McAvoy, a standby painter on set, said, quote, among the crew, there were rumors that it had been a disgruntled chef that had been let go, but nothing came of that. So here's what I was told. Here's what I, this is how the story was told to me. Um, So it's a slight twist on both of this, um, but there's more of a reasoning behind why this person may have been fired or let go. So that day or the day before, again, this is being told to me by someone years ago. I am now 22. I am no longer in elementary school, you know, like, so take this with a grain of salt and probably a lie. (laughs) Okay. That day or the day before, okay, someone on craft services was setting up food for the cast and crew. However, the food that they were putting out was actually food that was meant for the scenes they were shooting that day. Cameron saw this allegedly and lost his mind, loses on the person in question, and then to get revenge, they try to sabotage production by lacing the chowder with PCP. <laughs> Regardless of how it happened, <laughs> that had to be a massive amount of PCP to get that many people that messed up. Well, it was in the chowder, and supposedly, according to McAvoy in the, inter- the same interview with Vice, she says that it was apparently so good that some people were going back for second and third servings. <laughs> That'll do it. So some people were so obviously made- more affected than others. So the chef made the greatest chowder of his life <laughs> during the greatest film production of his life. And 
Well, I got so many thoughts. Number one. (laughs) Yeah, who spiked the chowder? Are we trying to nail this down? Okay. I feel guilty (laughs) about heckling that movie for Billy Zane's hairpiece that I can see. (laughs) I feel so guilty because Mike and I talk about degree of difficulty all the time, right? And this movie basically had the middle of climax happen to it, which is the most batshit film that's been in cinemas for the last 10 years. During the production, that's thought number one, and I'm Mm -hmm. heckling, nitpicking the makeup (laughs) in like one of our first episodes. Number two, you have hereby made Mike, Mike, and Oscar a journalistic enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like huge for us. I was going to say, that was an exclusive. We have a low-down exclusive Hollywood story for the first time. And, And finally, number three, what if it was old Rose? Like, okay, listen, she, listen, listen, listen. Okay, wait, so, no, wait, no. You don't have a follow up story. It can't possibly be her. No, okay. So the I need it to be her. The conclusion. <laughs> so the conclusion for the story um, is that so Susie Amos was also on set that day. She apparently said she wasn't interested in the chowder. Didn't have any. Cameron jokingly said, "I've always suspected her because of that." In an interview, okay. No one was long-term affected. They pretty much immediately started, once they were sent home from the hospital, they pretty much all were brought back to set the next day. No one had any lasting effects. And her, who played Old Rose, she actually was eating at a restaurant not on set at the time of this happening. So maybe she was involved. She was never in danger, so therefore... Old Rose brought in PCP from the summer of love that she had. (laughs) And she's clearly spiked the chowder. Clearly. That is an amazing story. (laughs) That is phenomenal. I'm obsessed with it. Like, that's, I, like, I rewatched the movie and I'm like, okay, wait, was this filmed after the PCP episode or pre-PCP? Like, I need to know. How, how, so you heard this first for the first time in elementary school? Yes, because I went to, so it's like a local, uh, like hair salon for kids, basically. Like it's literally like a kid's hair place. And again, my dad loves movies. He'd take us talking with her. Oh, I was in the Titanic because everyone wants to tell you about how they were in a movie. Right. So that's how I heard from that. And then my, I was talking about like, oh, I might do the Titanic because I remembered the Chowder story, but I didn't remember how I remembered it. And then my dad like re-brought everything up. So I started looking into it and found all these articles about how it's an unsolved case of, <laughs> of Chowder on it. The um, Bill Paxton did a video interview for it, I believe, in 1999. No, um, 2001 or something. Um, it's an old, it's definitely an old interview, but again, it's, the movie came out for, uh, in the night, late nineties, 99. When did it come out? Uh, 97. 97. Yeah. 97. Yeah. Oh God. That's the year I was born. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh Jesus. Thanks for that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but no, so like just hearing that it's like not just like I just assumed like, oh, OK, it was like that fired crew member. It was the fired chef from crew. But then no, it's like, no, this is considered an unsolved story. And no one mentions that there was they all talk about it like, oh, it was causing uh, trouble with the caterers or whatever. But I'd heard about the the food mix up, basically. And I was like, oh, does no one know that part? <laughs> or is that even a real part? You know? Yeah. So so. I, I, I walk me through that part one more time, just so I have a clear understanding. So the the theory is this caterer was pissed off and wanted to actually hurt the production, so he was, thought he was spiking the food that was going to be used on camera. It was like not even that, like spike. No, okay. So the story is is that uh, someone was setting up 
the craft services, okay, mm-hmm. and was putting food out that they believed was either from catering or they were on catering and were just putting food out and didn't know that that was food mm-hmm. that was meant for the scenes that they were supposed to be eating within the scene. So obviously you oh, want to keep I that see. food separately because they have to eat that during the scenes. You can't have everyone else eating it because now you have nothing for the scenes. So Cameron allegedly saw that, lost his mind, and either fired the crew member or at least screamed at him and then fired, which makes sense based on everything that I read about this production, is that he, the man is quite a, a voice that carries. Let's go with that. And... <laughs> like embarrassed this person and fired them and then to sabotage production then spiked the chowder but then obviously they went back to set the next day so it didn't really halt production aside for a couple hours that is a great great story (laughs) all i could think of is like this validating every friend of mine who's ever said like like they listen to Joe Rogan or something, and they, they ever they say like, "Oh man, you gotta do psychedelics once in a while. You gotta break, <laughs> you gotta break the tension of real life." And and this is like an argument in favor of doing that because you have this tyrant, this absolute dictator on set, making everybody scared, and they have this moment, they have this episode, and the, it's you know the greatest film success story of all time mm-hmm. still. And somebody on set was like, I'm going to stab that guy in the face with a pen. <laughs> He's screaming at him to pee in their bathing suits. And, you know, everybody's just on edge. They want to die. And then they all get kooky for a couple hours. And it's a rousing success the rest of the way. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Mike, we should not record I was just anymore gonna because say, we have to top that. I was that. just going to say, we, like, that has to be the last. That we can't. That has to be the final story. I mean, I got a Fitzcarraldo thing. There's a boat. There's a jungle. <laughs> you know, Werner Herzog. I'm sorry. You know, they, act, no, they got attacked no. by, you know, natives. Listen, if you ever apologize to anybody for anything ever again, I'll be mad at you. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, I, I, yeah, just, I was going to do Heaven's Gate. It's very well known, but it, I don't have, I didn't talk to Michael Shimino, who was involved in a PCP poisoning, so I don't have a firsthand account that can compete with this story. Oh my gosh! I was gonna lie and say I talked to like Klaus Kinski, and and he you know, <laughs> talked about the plane crashes and the and the you know the the lions and tigers in the jungle in Ecuador. No, I can't, I can't even do that though. That, that, no, Mike, we should shut up from here on in and uh, put a cap on that episode. That's phenomenal. I, look, if 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 absolutely nothing else, if this doesn't entice every listener. To come back when we have new mutants ready. Because knowing Amanda, she probably has superpowers. Listen, do you want to update on new mutants? Yes, please. Okay, so Disney just released the IMAX poster with the initial August date still on it. Like, publicly released the poster. So we were talking about that a couple days ago. and There's no way it actually hits its date. Because they're, all they're saying is in theaters, in theaters. They're not even tempted. They're not even teasing Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And there's no way it's actually going to be released on the 24th. I can't imagine. I mean, AMC is opening the 20th at least here for 15 cent tickets for the first day at least that's going to be a corona festival to start but who knows how long that lasts so i was researching this a couple weeks ago and i was going back and forth on twitter with somebody about it apparently the production company is it's not searchlight right it's like 20th century films or whatever that label is all of their stuff by this like old contract is still going to 
HBO and HBO Max and, you know, the AT&T, like everything's split off. That's why you see like Jojo Rabbit going to AT&T and HBO, right? And, and all of the, the latest Fox Searchlight pictures for, that have been nominated for Oscars, uh, Ford v. Ferraris on HBO Max, etc. So it, it makes no sense for Disney to release it on a streaming service because by their contract it would have to go to HBO Max. So they gotcha. might as well... They might as well hold out for the theaters because they can't release it on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows if Disney+, Plus is even going to be worth it for them. They're doing the Mulan release at $30 a rental, which who knows how that's going to work out. It would have to be a Hulu release, right? I mean, because it's just not going to be... Oh, a, yeah, the, anything. It's a horror movie, right? They're not putting non-family-friendly stuff on Disney+, Plus, so it would have to go to Hulu. But like I said, you know, the neon stuff is going to Hulu right now, not the Searchlight stuff yet. Mm-hmm. What if they just pivot and chop the film up into like seven different pieces and put it on Quibi? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, dear God. Well, Amanda, uh, you were amazing. And thank, thank you. you once again. <laughs> that <laughs> thank was you for an having incredible, me. Incredible, incredible story. And I cannot wait to uh, to review New Mutants. And we cannot thank you enough for dealing with all the, uh, the craziness that happened on our end here in Connecticut and uh, you being a very, very kind guest to us. So thank you very, very much for all you did. And my God, what a great job by you. <laughs> thank yeah, you again for awesome. having Thanks. me. You guys are great. Thank you. <laughs> we will be talking to you soon. Be good. Bye. So you see why, one, Amanda is like one of the greatest guests we've had. Two, you should absolutely subscribe to her YouTube channel and follow her. And and three, we had to cut our list short because there's no topping that story. You heard us kind of mention it at the end there. Uh, I had something about Heaven's Gate, which is a notorious flop that doesn't hold a candle to a massive PCP outbreak on the set of Titanic. Mike, just uh, let the viewers know and remind them, what was your third story? I thought I had a showstopper. Like, I was going for it with Fitz Caraldo, <laughs> which was Werner Herzog and that German accent and all the documentaries, multiple documentaries of, uh, you know, Burden of Dreams. You can watch it, uh, basically pay $4 for it anywhere. And then My Best Friend, where he talks about his relationship with Klaus Kinski. Anyway, that 1977 film about, you know, them moving a ship through the Amazon to get right. it to the... It was crazy story. I thought, and then... You know, Swell told hers, but like there was a point where a guy like cut his own foot off with a chainsaw because he was bitten by a venomous snake. So to save his own life, he cut his foot off. And I thought that was the greatest story. But no, I would say a PCP episode involving Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, I'm sure Rose, even though she's got an alibi. She was at the restaurant, but I'm sure old Rose was the culprit there and then of course james cameron who probably needed pcp more than anybody ever needed pcp on the planet i can't believe i didn't make this joke during recording but you know old rose does have a penchant for dropping things into large bodies of liquid so (laughs) keep an eye on her that's very good i want to eat some chili okay yeah (laughs) we got to get the outro going here for swell Uh, Like we said, Swell Entertainment is her channel on YouTube. She's got the same handle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, which we should probably learn from, Mike, because your outros take so gosh darn long. Anyway, it's at L-U-V-U-2, the number two, L-U-V-U-2, Golka, G-O-L-K-A, on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Yeah, as if her mentioning she her birth year didn't make me feel old enough. She has a Snapchat as well lined up for her, Brandon. We 
don't. Uh, but again, in all sincerity, uh, we cannot thank Amanda enough. We are very much looking forward, and hope you are now too, to her rejoining us to review and break down all things New Mutants. Uh, when I heard that she was a a fan of disastrous film productions, uh, I knew I had to reach out, and she was nice enough to accept, so we will be sure to have her back in the near future. But do be sure also to check out Swell Entertainment on YouTube for her product reviews, for her movie reviews, for her show reviews, and for her being the check on all things social media influencers. Guys, we want to hear from you, of course, as always, as well. Let us know, are there any legendary film production blunders or massive uh, production sets from hell that we did not mention or give shine to that you are very much in the know about. Do you have a story about anyone getting laced with PCP against it? No, don't tell us that. <laughs> but let us know if you hear any stories about film production sets that uh, you want us to mention on air. You have any inside stories, you can leave us those as well as any other comments, questions, concerns, or what have you on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including an especially Apple podcast. If you happen to be listening to us during quarantine, we cannot thank you enough. If you would be so kind to return the favor and go on Apple Podcasts, the app, leave us a five-star review. It would be your good deed for the day and make us feel really, really good. Like we had a little PCP of our own. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> anyway, Mike... <laughs> What an episode. What are some words of wisdom and what is coming next from MMO? It is wise to follow Swell Entertainment on YouTube. That's an easy one. What's coming next from us? Well, we're finally going to dive into the Mulan slash Paramount news and kind of break that down. That is a big deal. That is worth the extra research. And I think Mike and I, you know, we both want to really, you know, read more on that and, and mm -hmm. really dive into it long form. So you'll get an Oscar race checkpoint episode next because we got more news about the New York Film Festival, more news about some international film selections. So we can brand that as an ORC. Otherwise, we got more guests coming up. I think we got one booked every week now for the next couple. So the, it's exciting for us. We're talking to other human beings who are cooler than us number one most importantly <laughs> and they got great stories like my best production story was you know i was on set i was recording a movie and we took an impromptu trip to taco bell that was the <laughs> best i got so swell's got better ones so that was why should we have her on? <laughs> yeah that i i amazing guys it was delicious but yeah <laughs> No PCP in the ground beef from Taco no. Bell. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies, listen to these stories, and hopefully share some laughs with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very, very soon. See ya. I mean, thank you. We don't have to do it. Okay, I'm going to end this here. This is super long, just from this outro clip of us talking. Anyway, that's it. Goodbye.